Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We're opening our Bibles, please, to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, the 11th chapter, Mark chapter 11. We have before us two back-to-back Sundays that changed the course of history. Those Sundays, of course, Palm Sunday and Easter. On Palm Sunday, Jesus was officially recognized as a king. On Easter Sunday, Jesus rose victoriously from the grave. And between Palm Sunday and Easter, Jesus was rejected, he was crucified, he was placed in the tomb. By God's grace, as we gather next Sunday, we'll rejoice because he did not stay in the tomb. He rose again. Mark chapter 11. Today, on Palm Sunday, we ask a question. Often you hear, why all the hubbub? This morning we're asking, why all the hosannas? As we open our Bible to Mark chapter 11, and we begin our reading in verse 1. When they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. If any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye, that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. They went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon these things, now it was eventide come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word this morning. Father, now I pray that you'd illumine our hearts and our minds so that we might see the Savior in his glory this morning, so that we might rejoice in the one for whom the crowd sang, Hosanna. And may that be the cry of our heart as we go out from this service today, Hosanna, save now. Bless your word to our hearing, and especially, Lord, to those who perhaps have never heard the gospel. May they hear it today and come to know Jesus Christ whom to know is everlasting life. For it's in his name we pray, amen. It was Saturday evening in Bethany. The Lord and his disciples would spend the last Sabbath of our Lord's earthly life with some of his dear friends. In fact, some of his dearest friends. He was with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the one that he'd raised from the dead. Mary was doing what Mary often did. She was focused on the Savior. And as she focused on the Savior, Martha was busying herself in the kitchen, concerned about how to feed all the hungry fishermen who had come into her home. Lazarus was there greeting guests, for people were coming from far and wide after they'd heard that Lazarus did not have a near-death experience. 
Lazarus had a real death experience. And Lazarus was back from the dead and he was telling people about what he experienced, no doubt. When Mary came near and she did something that a lot of people thought unthinkable, she opened up an alabaster box and she poured a very precious ointment on the Savior. In fact, a very costly ointment. So costly that Judas was offended. Why? He said, this should have been given to the poor, this extravagance. Mary knew, it seems, that the Spirit of God had prompted her that this would be her last opportunity to anoint the Savior before his death. So Jesus commended her. Jesus said, against the day of my death has she done this. Have you ever thought that when Jesus was sweating those great drops of blood in Gethsemane, as he cried out to the Father that from the pores of his body would emanate the wafting scent of that perfume that had fragranced his body when Mary had knelt down and wiped his feet with her hair. Mary had done that which she could do. They said their good nights in Bethany. Then in the quietness of the morning, Jesus asked the disciples to do something he'd never asked them to do before. And immediately the disciples knew this was going to be a very special day. Jesus said, according to Mark chapter 11 and verse 2, go over into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you'll find a colt tied, whereon never man sat, loose him and bring him. If any man say unto you, why do you this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. Now Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem. It's on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, and so you can't see Jerusalem from Bethany, and you can't see Bethany from Jerusalem. It's on the other side of the hill. But Jesus was preparing the way for that route of two miles, that pageantry, that parade on that little donkey as he would enter into the eastern gate for the first time in pageantry. And one day, praise God, he's going to enter a second time. But as he was entering that time, the Bible tells us in verse 8 that many spread their garments in the way and others cut down branches off trees and strawed them in the way. They that went before and they that followed after cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Now, all four of the Gospels put this account in their writings. The Spirit of God wants us to focus on this account. In fact, when Matthew shares his account of the Palm Sunday entry, Matthew says in chapter 21 and verse 10, that when Jesus came into the city, the city was moved. And the word that he used for moved is only used five times in the New Testament. It's the Greek word seismos. We get our word seismograph. It speaks of an earthquake. In fact, in Matthew 27 and verse 51, the Bible tells us that when Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross, the earth did shake. And so Matthew wants us to know that when Jesus came on that Palm Sunday, Jerusalem was shaking with the news of this one who was coming on this little donkey. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. Multitudes of people were shaking the palm branches in the air as they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And here's our question this morning. Who is this one who's riding on this donkey? Who is this one to whom they cry, Hosanna? Why were they crying out with such exaltation on that specific day? And our text in Matthew chapter 11 provides us with a threefold answer this morning. I want you to consider the text this morning and hear what the Spirit of God tells us about this one who's entering into Jerusalem. 
The Spirit of God reveals in this text that Jesus is the one who can control all things, that Jesus is the one who controls all things. Now, Matthew chapter 11 is a testimony to that. In Matthew chapter 11, we discover the Lord's omniscience on display, and we discover the Lord's omnipotence on display. Now, some would suggest, wait a minute, there's no big display of omniscience and omnipotence here. Jesus probably set it up ahead of time for the owner of the colt to allow the colt to be used on that particular Sunday morning. So when he sent his disciples while they were unaware that the owner of the colt was already ready to loan the colt out, Jesus set that all up so he could come in on that particular day on that colt. We don't really have a record of whether Jesus had talked to the owner of the colt ahead of time or not. As you read the text, the Spirit of God seems to demonstrate that there's no record of Jesus talking to that person ahead of time. Some have looked at this episode of a borrowed burrow and said, that's not really all that miraculous. Well, that part of it may not be miraculous, but I don't know about you. Personally, I don't think I want to crawl onto an unbroken colt anytime soon. The Bible gives a clear record that this is a supernatural event. The supernatural part of it is Jesus is riding on a colt. In the midst of a great crowd of people, that colt had never been ridden before. And as Jesus comes into that place, Jesus is in control of everything. How do you know that, Pastor Phelps? Take your Bibles for just a moment and turn back to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 33. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 33, Jesus said, look at it, Jesus said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Listen, the one who could predict everything that would transpire during the week of his impending death had no problem controlling a colt. He controls all things. Jesus spoke and the seas became calm. Jesus touched the eyes of the blind and they could see. Jesus cried, come forth! And Lazarus, who had been dead for three days, came out of the tomb. Jesus is the one who controls all things. Friend, the design of the world reveals to us that there must be a designer. And the Bible declares that Jesus is that designer. John 1 and verse 3 says that it's He by whom all things were made. The chaos of the world helps us understand that there needs to be a sustainer. How else could everything continue in the way it continues day by day? And the Bible says that Jesus is that sustainer. In Hebrews 1 and verse 3, the Word of God says He upholds all things by the Word of His power. And Colossians 1 and verse 17 says, By Him all things consist. We asked the question this morning as we see Jesus riding on this lowly colt, this one who created the universe, who sustains it this morning, does he control us? Friend, does he control you? The psalmist asked a question in Psalm 32 and verse 9. In fact, the psalmist offered an admonition. The admonition was this. 
Be not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held with a bit or bridle, lest they come near unto them. Peter T. Forsyth was right when he said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Jesus wants to be the master of your soul. He was the master of a colt, an unbroken colt that day, but he wants to be the master of your soul today. He's the one who controls everything. He controlled all the details of that momentous morning when he was revealed as the king of Israel. The songwriter wrote the words years ago, Lord Jesus, think your thoughts through my mind. Speak your words through my lips. Live your life through my body every hour of every day. Lord Jesus, till I see you face to face. Can you pray that prayer? Is it your desire that Jesus be in control of every moment of your life? Why do they shout Hosanna? Because Jesus controls all things and because Jesus fulfills prophecy. One third of the Bible is prophecy. Hundreds of biblical prophecies have been specifically, carefully, wonderfully, undeniably fulfilled. The Bible is a book of fulfilled prophecy, and the Bible is a book still containing prophecy that will be specifically and undeniably and powerfully fulfilled. As we open our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 11, we're opening to the week which is undoubtedly the epicenter of all of Bible prophecy. If you've ever looked at, through a kaleidoscope and you've seen all of the colors as they change and make forms, when we look at the Passion Week of the Savior, it's as if you're taking the Old Testament and the New Testament and letting all those colors come brilliantly into light together. Jesus, after all, said in John 5 and verse 39, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. The Scriptures tell us about Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. And as we open our Bibles to Mark chapter 11, we see at least three prophecies being fulfilled, all in harmony together, all in the moments on which Jesus was riding upon the colt. For instance, we see Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 being fulfilled. Zechariah 9 and verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon the colt, the foal of an ass. Now, notice, Zechariah says that the coming king would be just. This speaks of the king's character. Jesus would stand before crowds in John chapter 8 and verse 46 in Jerusalem. And he would say, which of you convinceth me of sin? In other words, he's able to say, who among you can bring a charge against me that will stick? He's making a claim of sinlessness. Zechariah says that the one who comes will be just, that he will be lowly. The Romans came in on great white horses, but the king, Jesus, he came in in a lowly fashion, like Solomon of old, he rode in a lowly way on a little colt as he came into Israel. Zechariah says he'd ride upon an ass, upon the colt, the foal of an ass. And someone may respond, 
Well, Jesus is just doing what that passage that was written 500 years before he was born says he would do. Some would say he he set this up to ride upon the colt. And maybe that's correct. Jesus perhaps had provided for that colt ahead of time. We know that morning he said to go and get the colt. But there's something specific that someone who was setting this up could not have done. Jesus came into that city that day as one who was just. He was one against whom no one could say, this is the sin that I charge him with. I might be able to ride an unbroken colt. I don't think so. But I know this, I could never stand in front of a crowd this size and say I'm without sin. After all, my wife is in this crowd. But Jesus could say I'm without sin. In Daniel chapter 9, There's a very intricate, very specific prophecy that is provided for us in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. It's one of the most complex prophecies in all the Old Testament. So in order to make it simple for you, let me just share what the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 provides for us to understand. Daniel chapter 9 very specifically says that Messiah would be cut off and tells us when the Messiah would be cut off or rejected. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel writes from Babylon. Daniel says that King Artaxerxes, or the king of the Medo-Persians, would give a commandment. Daniel says the commandment would be to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And that a clock would start with that commandment. And that clock, that calendar that would start is a prophetic calendar. Daniel says it this way, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be be 69 weeks. Those are weeks of years. Remember I said it's a complex prophecy. But when you study that prophecy out, it literally reads this way, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, there'll be 483 years. And then... In that 483rd year, the Messiah will be rejected. Daniel says it this way. He'll be cut off. Now we know from the Old Testament when Artaxerxes said the Jews could go back, or the Jewish people rather, could go back and rebuild Jerusalem. So the calendar began. And when you begin that calendar and and page forward until the time of the triumphal entry of the Lord until Palm Sunday, you know what you discover? But those 483 days were specifically fulfilled to the day when Jesus came into the city. In fact, when Jesus came into the city and some were saying, tell these disciples to be quiet, not to yell out Hosanna, Jesus said, hey, if I tell them to be quiet, don't you understand the stones will cry out? And then with great empathy and great emotion, Jesus said, oh, if you would have known on this, the day, the things which are done in your midst. Soon he would cry, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets, killest those who are sent unto thee. How oft I would have gathered thee together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of over 300 prophecies that are found throughout the Old Testament. Studies have been done about the possibility of fulfilling so many prophecies in one specific person. In fact, Professor Peter Stoner wrote a book entitled Science Speaks, and in that book, 
He speaks of the law of compound, compound probabilities. In other words, how probable, what are the odds, what are the chances that someone could fulfill so many specific prophecies? He took eight prophecies and he ran those prophecies through the mathematical calculations that help us to understand compound probabilities, and he discovered that even with eight of those prophecies being fulfilled in Christ, it would be one in 10 to the 17th power, a possibility of that actually happening in one person's life. In other words, just eight of those prophecies, he illustrated it this way. If you took the state of Texas and covered it with two feet deep silver dollars, Marking one silver dollar, blindfolded a man, and told him he has one shot at picking up the right silver dollar in the state of Texas. You've now understood in your mind what it means to discover 10 to the 17th power of compound probabilities for Jesus Christ to fulfill eight prophecies in one man. But Jesus didn't fulfill eight prophecies in one man. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies in one man. The numbers are incalculable. There's no doubt Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. Why did they cry Hosanna? They cried Hosanna because Jesus is control of all things. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. And one final thing that I consider in this passage, because Jesus is the one who offers himself as a sacrifice for sin. In the Gospel of John chapter 7, Jesus said, My time is not yet come. In fact, Jesus even told his disciples when he accomplished miracles and when he was sharing who he was in Matthew chapter 16, tell no man of these things. In many ways through his ministry, he kept some things guarded. But now, with great pageantry, they're waving palm branches, they're shouting Hosanna, the whole city is being moved. Why is Jesus allowing this to happen? It's almost out of character for what he's been doing throughout the New Testament. Well, the reason for why he's allowing this to happen is this is a fulfillment of prophecy. He's coming as the king. And as he comes, he comes into a city that's alive with people. There are some two million people in Jerusalem at that time, according to Josephus. Some 250,000 lambs that are going to be offered by the families who are gathering there that week. This is, after all, Passover week. And on Passover week, every family in Israel had to select a lamb, and they had to select that lamb on the 14th day of their month, Nisan. They had to set that lamb apart, examine that lamb for the next days until the final day in which that lamb would be offered. The lamb was offered on the 14th. The lamb was selected on the 10th. The 10th of Nisan. Why, that's the Sunday when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's coming into Jerusalem on the very day that everyone is selecting their lamb, and he's coming in on that specific day, the 10th of Nisan, just before Passover, on the day when lambs were being selected so for that next week he could be examined by the rulers in Israel, and he would do that. He could be examined by the religious people, by the scholars of God's Word. He would allow himself to be examined. Did you know that most of the lambs who would die on that Passover Most of those lambs would be cared for in the fields of Bethlehem. That's where the shepherds were. Bethlehem was only five miles away from Jerusalem. Jesus was born five miles away from Jerusalem in the same place where the sacrificial lambs had been born. And now on this particular Sunday morning, the 10th of Nisan, according to what the law commanded, Jesus was being set apart. He's the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. God had said in Genesis 22 that he'd provide himself a lamb. Revelation 13 and verse 8 says there's a lamb who was slain even before the foundation of the earth. Why? Friend, because all we like sheep have gone astray and we've all turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He's the only worthy sacrifice. He's the only one without sin. And he offered himself for your sin and for mine. Soon his body would be on the cross, the perfect lamb. Soon he'd cry out, it is finished. Man of sorrows will sing next week. What a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, loud he cried. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Why was he riding that colt? Because he controls everything. Because he fulfills prophecy. Because he offers himself as a lamb slain in our place. Why were they crying Hosanna? Because Hosanna means save now. Save now. Hosanna means save now. The psalmist had said that he would come. The psalmist had said that they would sing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they would sing Hosanna. Is your heart singing Hosanna this morning? You see, when he came the first time, he rode a lowly donkey. When he comes the second time, he'll, he'll ride a great white horse. When he came the first time, he was lowly. When he comes the next time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When he came the first time, he came to offer himself as the sinner's substitute. When he comes again, he's coming as the judge, the judge of sinners. Today is the day for us to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. Why were they in the streets waving the palm branches? Why did they shout, Hosanna? Because we serve the Savior who controls everything. We serve the Savior who fulfills prophecy. We serve the Savior who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Will you stand with me, please, as we pray? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and no one looking around. Friend, the Word of God says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Today is a day that you can call upon the name of the Lord and know the blessing of salvation. Today is a day that every Christian heart ought to echo, Hosanna, save now. Thank you, Lord, for saving me from my sin. Thank you that you're in control of everything. Thank you that you offered yourself as the perfect sacrifice. Thank you that you're for the fulfillment of prophecy. And thank you that you're coming again. May our hearts cry out, even so come Lord Jesus, Hosanna. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.